Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. I'll say this way. I wish there was less pushing people to jump into entrepreneurship and more training them to how to be successful from the jump. There's so many motivational speakers and they're just saying, take the leap, take the leap. And I'm like, yes, take the leap. Don't be stuck in inaction. But there's a little bit of training we need either immediately or before you take that leap. Today, we welcome Isaac Lee Collins, a multi-business entrepreneur who has launched his own coaching business to help other entrepreneurs prepare for the journey ahead. Isaac shares the lessons from his own experiences buying and operating multiple businesses, leading teams, and the value he gained from having mentors and coaches in his life. Now let's go listen to Isaac. Awesome. Well, good, snowy, icy morning, everyone. Hopefully you don't have to get out and you can all stay safe. Uh, we haven't had much of it this winter, but we're getting a good bit today. So finally a little winter, normal winter weather. It's good to see everyone and been looking forward to spending time again with, with Isaac, who just has such a, uh, life of entrepreneurship and learning and lessons. And it's exciting. I don't know. First time we met, I think it was like three hours just oh my you know, went by like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It felt like 30 minutes, but yeah, it was definitely three hours. Yeah, so I've been excited to uh, have him spend time we're here with the group. He owns Yogurtini, which probably won't be busy on a snowy day, but <laughs> uh, summer weather will be here and it'll be packed again uh, before long. But why don't we go way back, Isaac, tell everybody a bit about where you grew up and some of your early influences and what inspired this early journey of entrepreneurship that you're still pursuing today? Sure, sure. Well, first off, it's... Uh... Good to see everybody. I don't know everybody in the group, but good to good to see you and good to be seen. Thank you, Randy, for having me. And um, I think about that time with you at, at Pilgrim Coffee quite a bit. I'm still pulling out little nuggets from it that I uh, that I, I heard from you and just been resonating with me. So I really appreciate the time still, even though that was a couple of months ago. Um, but like Randy said, I'm Isaac Lee Collins. I'm actually a local Kansas City kid, and I've had quite a little bit of a entrepreneurial journey, um, moved from Kansas City at a very young age due to some stuff going on with my family. Uh, we moved to St. Joe overnight. I've spent most of my life there in, in St. Joe, Missouri. Um, moved up to the north side. So we moved from like the projects of Kansas City to the projects of St. Joe. And then when I was about third or fourth grade, I moved up to the north side of St. Joe to run Country Club. And it was really, really cool because I've gotten a lot of experiences around a lot of different kinds of people. Um, stayed in that area for most of my life, ended up going to Savannah. Anyone know or been to Savannah or through Savannah at all? A couple of people, yep, yep, yep. So I went to Savannah School District from fourth grade all the way through 12th grade always loved math, um, always kind of uh, loved the thought of entrepreneurship, but fell in love with it. My junior year of high school in a marketing class, um, I joined DECA, got talked into joining DECA and fell in love with it. But the thing uh, that got me over the hump of if I wanted to potentially own my own business was uh, it was in that class, my teacher turned on The Apprentice. And so The Apprentice, after I saw like, how Donald Trump did that whole thing and how he moved and everything with his businesses. I was like, that seems really, really cool. So that was my first introduction to seeing a business on the TV and that kind of sparked it from there. So that was pretty cool. So graduated from there, stayed in St. Joe, went to Missouri Western, got a business degree, um, played football there all four and a half years. And when I was about to graduate, there was this entrepreneurial program that was created at our business school that was helping graduating seniors and alumni to get into business. So um, I saw uh, several years of people going through the program and getting into these successful businesses at 22 and 23 years old. And so when it came time for me to graduate, I inquired about it and it really sounded too good to be true. And I was extremely skeptical, but I decided to go through it anyway. And I went through that uh, capstone course and ended up winning my, my year. It was a competition between myself and I think there was 10 other people in the class that year. And I was given the opportunity to purchase a um, business 
at the age of 22 and I got into it at 23. And so I did that. I got into a Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory franchise store. I moved up to Iowa. That's where I did that. And I owned that business for about four years. And so um, long story short, at the three-year mark, I wanted to move back home because my family and friends are here. Um, I kept the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory in Iowa, but I moved back to Kansas City. And that's when I purchased my first Yogurtini location there on the plaza, South Plaza by the library. And to this date, and we'll probably get into more details of my time in Kansas City, um, I've been blessed to own, in the span of about 10 years, eight businesses, so seven for-profit and one nonprofit business with my um, passion project being this coaching business that I started last year. So since I've had uh, a lot of failures <laughs> and a lot of success, I'm taking both of those baskets and creating a uh, curriculum and a coaching program that's helping new and aspiring entrepreneurs to get into business because if there's any business owners out there, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard, hard, hard. And so if I can help them shorten their learning curve, that'd be awesome. And that's my way currently to give back when I had so many people that helped me get started in business, starting from the mentorship from my parents, going all the way to my mentors in college. So. That's uh, that's my little deal there. There's there's a lot in that little deal. <laughs> You've had a lot of experiences, but you hit on something right there where you talked about success and failure. And for entrepreneurs, that's different than folks in corporate life. What what defines success for you as you go into a business and as you think about buying and running a business? What's what's your measure of your success? Uh, well, to me, it just comes down to value add. So can you actually add value to, well, in, in multiple ways, if you're in business, then you're selling a product or you're, you're selling a service. So is that product or service adding value to the person who's trying to purchase it is the first thing. Um, and that is a part that I've seen a lot of people try to skip as far as trying to get into business. And they have this idea or they're really, really good at something and they just want to bring it to market without knowing if the market actually needs it. And so that's the first thing is you have to add value with what you're doing. For me, um, maybe it's because of my parents or circumstances we had growing up, but I'm also a person that's like, if you're going to do something, it needs to add value to the people around you as well. You don't want to just have all this money and do all this stuff and not positively bring people with you um, and make their life better. So that is something that I put into practice early on. And early on, I wasn't great at it. I mean, I had so many people failures. I mean, my first two employees, I fired through text message because I was too scared to actually have the conversation with them. Like I was literally terrified. One of them, I tried to fire in person. This was when I was 23 years old, two months in, and it just wasn't working out. So I sat down with them, had every intention to fire them. And about, <clears throat> about 45 minutes into this conversation, I chickened out and I just sent them, you know, out on the floor to work. And then uh, it continued not to work out with that person. Obviously, that's why I was going to fire them. And about three weeks later, I just said, uh, hey, don't bother coming into work anymore. And I fired them through text. So not a great time in my life, but I've used failures like that to get better, to uh, respect people a lot more in the workplace and also be more upfront and have expectations. And um, I pride myself on being able to, you know, empathize with where people are at, also hold them so much more accountable than I was back in the day. So it's a very synergistic um, relationship. So that's, that's value to me. You need to have value in your product to your service, but also value added to the people that are around you from your customers to your employees, to your vendors, et cetera. You know, there's so many folks that would look at what you've done and say, okay, this guy's bought eight businesses and that's awesome. And that looks fun, but they never muster the courage to go do it. They think it sounds cool and they dream about it. And someday I will, but someday never comes. And so what was unique about you that helped you find that courage and make that first leap? And then why a, uh, a Rocky Mountain chocolate factory in the flat cornfields of Iowa? 
<laughs> I get that question a lot. I can't wait to get to that question. Uh, so the first one um, for me, just I think it was how it was raised. So, you know, I lived, if y'all are all from Kansas City, I was born at True Medical Center. We lived over Independence and Paseo, lived in the projects, and a lot of my family were over there as well. And so I saw a lot of the plight that goes on in the Black community because we were a part of it. And that's why we had to overnight leave to go or flee, if you will, to St. Joe. And so um, going there and being amongst that and then going to St. Joe and being around a very different community, I have seen so many different variations of people groups, Black, white, old, young, uh, suburban, urban, rural, because if you guys know Savannah, it's very rural with only 5,000 people in the town. And so I've seen so many different um, people groups when it comes to that. And so I had a lot of different experiences. And for me, my parents kind of built and instilled in me and showed me the ways of how the normal person, I guess, would do things versus how they wanted it for me. My parents always wanted me to have more than they had, which you know, as a new dad, I think that's an obvious. If you have a child, you want better for your children than, than you had. But I got a chance to see the life that they were living when we came back to visit in Kansas City. And um, from a very young age, I saw that that wasn't for me. That's not the life that I wanted to live because we got to escape that and get to a better situation with a lot of help with uh, from the people that were around us. So um, I saw better, I knew better since I was being taught. And so I ended up striving and wanting to do better. So I think that's where that started for me is, you know, my parents being these, um, entrepreneurs at a young age, uh, in, in a legal sense, and then transforming at that to be devout Christians and very upstanding citizens and you know, connect to their church, connect to the local community. I saw the benefit that could happen in how they were mentoring others and how others mentored us. And so I strived at a young age just to be that. So that's a lot of the characteristics of an entrepreneur. And I think that's where that started. And that's where I strive to do that. As far as the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, the partnership we had with my college was a three-way partnership. So my benefactor's name is Steve Craig. He donated $5.5 million to Missouri Western's business program to get it accredited and to start the program that he started. He owns super regional malls. So if you all have been to LA, he owns Citadel, which is one of the nicest malls in the US. And so in a lot of his malls, he actually has Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factories in every single one. So he has made good relationships with, um, the at the time, the president and the VP. And so he had this idea to start this class to help graduating seniors get into business. So it became a three-way partnership between himself, Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory and Missouri Western to uh, create a course where we learn how to run a business the entire semester and then pitch it to a board of judges at the end. And if we win, Steve is our bank and he backs us to start a Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory franchise. So I do love sweets. I probably would have chosen something like that regardless but it wasn't like I had a chance to choose what I wanted to get into. Um, like Steve said, it was more of the stepping stone to be able to get on the game board, as he says, and build up your war chest of $100,000. And he said, if you have 100 grand, then you have options to do whatever you want. And so that was my sole goal my first four years with that business. Wow, that's that's cool. And that really came about through school. So that's really awesome that school yeah. helped create that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, to this point, there's only one other college that's doing that. And they mimicked it from us. Um, I believe a, a school in Idaho. So it's a pretty cool program. Wow, that that sounds like a great program. Let's go to uh, Steve. I believe he has a question. I think Isaac has already answered it. Uh, talking about the St. Joe mentor, just a fascinating person and an incredible mentorship. Um, you have anything to add to that story that uh, would be valuable to the group? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, 
thanks for the question, Steve. Uh, and just, you know, consequently, my mentor's name is Steve. Steve Craig, if you guys want to look him up, uh, he actually is a Savannah kid. So years and years before I went to Savannah, Steve Craig went to Savannah. He was an alumni there and a lot of his friends now work at St. Joe. So that's his affiliation to St. Joe. His, his business is Craig Realty Group out in, um, he lives in Newport Beach. I think they're stationed in, in either Newport or Huntington Beach. Um, but him coming into my life, I literally, I think I even told you this when we sat out for coffee, but I text Steve Craig at least once a quarter just to thank him because, you know, the importance of a coach and a mentor in your life to show you the path, and you all know this, but to show you the path that you haven't traveled yet is so insanely important. And the cool thing about Steve was he could have just came and talked to our class and gave us a little bit of inspiration. That would have been enough. That would have been great. But he went a step further to create this program where he gets to come and give us inspiration, but he gave us literally this pipeline to be able to tangibly learn what to do to be better functioning members of society through business entrepreneurship. And it revolutionized my life. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from a four-year university. Um, I love this because my parents gave me a really good foundation, but um, I make the most money in my family and my wife and I, same for my wife. And we're in a situation to completely change our lineage because of Steve Craig, because of Steve Craig's mentorship and what he created. And so he's just, he's always going to be my hero, <laughs> no matter what, because of what he did. And because of that, that's why I'm creating something very similar. And that's also why I'm a board member for Big Brothers Big Sisters, because I believe in coaching, I believe in mentorship to the younger generation. I mean, if you are blessed to have something, then you should give it back. I'm just curious, uh, any uh, books that you read in your 20s that uh, helped you personally, professionally, or, or inspired you that thing comes to mind? Sure. So there's three, actually, and I think they're all uh, behind me right now in my little color-coded little section back here. Um, the first one I read right before I got my business, and it was a great stepping stone to understand that the thoughts that I had um, aren't crazy for the things I was thinking about because no one was kind of thinking about those things when I was in high school and college. And these are not revolutionary books. You guys know these already, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that changed everything for me, guys. I mean, how I was living life and what I saw versus what I had read in that book. I'm like, this is so different, but this makes so much sense for my, I mean, I'm a math guy, so my analytical brain, this just makes so much sense and this is a better way. So that's my first book. Uh, the second one is The Alchemist, Paulo Coelho. That rocked me when I listened or when I read that book uh, two months into being an entrepreneur. It gave me clarity on the concept of true purpose and how you don't find it immediately. It takes a while to get there. Everyone wants to find their passion and find their purpose. Sometimes you have to have some life experiences that you go through that helps you get there. And I was that guy that was like, I'm 22, 23. I don't know what I'm doing in this world. And I'm so lost. It's like, dude, you're young. You'll figure it out. Chill. Um, the third one was a book called The Dream Manager. The Dream Manager. That may be one that y'all haven't heard of or read or whatever, but it's phenomenal. And um, I don't want to give too much of it away, but just a quick synopsis is this business was struggling and they hired this person and he had this vision instead of focusing on how can we make more money, let's flip it on its head and figure out how can we serve our team better. And so they hired this dream manager and that was the person's sole role was to help the employees of the company find their dream and realize their dream and accomplish their dream. And through that, there was a massive transformation of the business. And so it made me look at leadership in a business in a very, very different way. I really, really recommend it if you haven't read it. So those are the three. Good question. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Adam Hawley gave me that book. It's an awesome book. And you oh. see it a lot in the way he runs his business. Once you uh, read that, you understand a lot about Adam. Yep. 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 hundred percent. 
let's head out to California for Jenna. She's, she probably knows all the places you're talking about out there. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Isaac. It's really good to hear your story. Uh, I wanted to just ask what have throughout your whole journey up until this point, what's been one of the hardest lessons that you've learned? Oh man. I mean, I'll say that's an easy one. So for me, it's all my lessons are around people and, you know, the ones on this call that I know, and I imagine, you know, everyone else is kind of the same way. We're very passionate about leadership. We're passionate about our people. We're passionate about empowering and making sure that we lead people better than they are. And while most of our passions are probably people in some regard, they're also the biggest headache um, when it comes to management and leadership and business ownership. Uh, so I've had to figure out boundaries. I've had to figure out different personalities and how to manage and lead different people. Um, and I've had to realize that my brain sometimes doesn't work how it should because I am not even a glass half full. I'm the glass is always full kind of guy. And I always have rose colored glasses on. And at a young age, I thought that was awesome. But when you're working closely with people and you need to see them for how they are to help them get wherever they're trying to go, I've gotten taken advantage of a lot and I've lost a lot of money and relationships due to that. So I've had to learn that lesson of not everybody is um, trying to do good. Not everyone is. I do think that people are doing the best with what they're given and where they're at currently, but I don't feel like um, they're definitely trying not to reach the standard that I have for my life and the, the standard that I put on them. And for me to put that standard on them when they're not trying to get to that isn't fair if we're not meeting in the same scope there. So since I don't see things clearly in that regard, I run everything I do from a people standpoint through my mom, my dad, and my wife. Those are my three people just to make sure that if I'm about to make a decision, I see things clearly for what it is. And I'm, I'm taking off my rose colored glasses. So hopefully that answered your question. We've got some uh, shout outs here from another big brother, big sister board member and Jenna and Mike about rock stars. Yeah. I'll loop back to those two things though. In a minute, let's go to, uh, to Libby right now. She's got a question while we're on management and leadership. Hi, Isaac. <clears throat> How are you? I'm hey, good. good. It's good to see you, good to see you here. See you again. Um, so I'm curious, you kind of answered this, but, um, you know, you think about what you're doing, you work with these young high school kids. I can say that cause I have one, um, in yoga teeny, for example. And then now you're doing this coaching, this incredible executive coaching. And I'm just curious how you adjust your style. I mean, that's quite a gambit of coaching and mentoring, et cetera. How are you adjusting your style from one to the other? Like what's the, question. what's the difference, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and I don't even know if this is true guys, but what I've learned, you know, like Libby was saying, I have worked in food retail my entire life, pretty much besides my first job was working at Best Buy, then Sears. I at 18 started managing an Olive Garden. So I've been in management in food retail um, brick and mortar for 15 years. And it's always been people who were 15 to about 22, 23, 24. And managing someone like that versus someone who's a little bit older is different. But I feel like if you can manage the younger generation and motivate them and empower them to actually show up and do the work when all they care about is getting a little bit of money for gas and food and sometimes alcohol then you can kind of motivate anyone. It is very different, I will say, because there's different demands there. Um, but what I've kind of seen, especially being a parent and talking to a lot of parents in youth groups and um, church groups and connect groups and all these kind of things and reading a lot of books, I always like to combine um, having a good amount of accountability, like holding them to the fire for what they said they were going to do or what they signed up for, but also having a lot of empathy and grace. And in every single person that I've led or I've managed or I've worked with, 
that has been the best time. And when there has been a separation of expectations and when things have failed, I either had a breakdown in um, accountability or it was grace. Either I was giving too much or not enough and they weren't working together perfectly. And so, um, man, managing younger kids is really, really hard. It's little easier to, for me at least, to manage and lead someone who is older and also to work with my clients who are older. Right now, my clients are anywhere from 25 to, I have one that's 55. And it's easier because they're in the workforce and the money that they're trying to make is their livelihood. So they're taking what we're talking about so much more serious than a 15, 16, 17 year old who hey, they might really understand what we're trying to do here, but sometimes they just don't care. So that is hard and that's where that grace comes in, but also knowing like, I'm very firm and I don't mess with firing people now because I have a very clear set of rules and how things work. And while we give empathy and grace, if you don't do what we signed up for, especially after a couple of conversations, then I'm quick to eliminate that person and set them free to find a job that's going to be a better fit for them. So, <sighs> yeah. You know, you've hit on it a couple of times and I, I want to loop back to, you know, you're involved in bigs, you've done rock stars. And I know you and I talk and it's a really big deal to you for your businesses to have a sense of purpose and to make a difference in the community. And you love to weave those together in your life and in your business, how do you communicate that sense of purpose to a 16 year old or an 18 year old? And do you find it matters? Does it, does that span generations? You know, are you able to get people geeked out and excited about the purpose of the business because of what's in you? Sure. So that's been pretty much my sole focus over the last 10 years is figuring that out. Um, I have had an uphill battle trying to figure that out. Last year, I joined the Missouri SBDC program scale up. And that was my sole focus that I worked with through uh, my coach is how do I get these kids to care about what we're doing? Whether it's them connecting to the mission or the vision or finding something inside of them that makes them care a lot more. Um, and I don't know if I have a solution yet. <laughs> I've, we've definitely gotten better at it. What does not work in that scenario is creating a beautiful mission vision statement and then shoving it down their throat to make them believe it. I tried that for years and years and years. Um, what I found with them is, and what I learned from the book, The Dream Manager is, Yes, you're going to have something bigger than yourself that you're doing within that business. And you have to have that. There has to be a purpose for your business above and beyond the product and the service, or there's not much to grasp onto. But within that, they have their own motivations for being there. And they have their own desires and things that they love and things that they hate. And so we've tried to take a little bit of the learning from the dream manager and we read that as a team, myself and my three managers, to figure out how can we walk the line between not giving these, these kiddos too much room to roam and too much grace and holding them accountable to what they said they were going to do. Um, and that's been, like I said, an ongoing journey because this isn't, this isn't a linear thing, especially dealing with them. I mean, you may have a great conversation. They may be really, really good for three shifts and that fourth shift teenage life happened. And so um, just because you're an empathetic person doesn't mean you can just continue to let people off the hook. So walking that fine line for us is kind of where we've been. And just showing up with the passions we have. I mean, passion is contagious no matter what. So if we show up fired up for the business, we find it that they catch our fire as well. And so we talk about our mission. We talk about our vision before, after every shift. And then also understanding that each person has their own mission and vision in life in that current stage that they're in that we'd like to honor as well. Yeah. And I'll say also, trying to put them in situations that they actually want to be in based off the skill set that they have. So we'll have conversations with all of them, like, 
we have promoted people to do photography and videography in our store because that's what their passion is. We have had people be the ones just in the back stocking and that kind of stuff because they're not as much people people. In my business, you have to work the counter at some point. But if there's two of you and one of you is better at this job, you do this and you do this. And that's helped them show up more excited instead of trying to force them to uh, do something that they don't want to do for an eight hour shift. Like, okay, do this for four hours and this for four hours. And they're way happier about that. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody uh, a week or two ago and they were, they were early in their journey and, and they were saying, no one teaches you how to manage. You're just like, you're doing a good job. And then suddenly you're in charge of some other people because of yep. that <laughs> and no one teaches you. And you didn't, you don't learn that in college and, and you don't ever really get in. So you talked about firing people by text message and things like that. I always look at like groups like this. I wish I'd had this early on to talk to people and learn from them. And probably this ties into coaching. What do you wish you had known earlier and, and how do you, pass that along today oh what i wish i would have known earlier hmm. not to fire people by text i'm guessing you know what yeah, definitely don't do that it doesn't go well it makes things real weird <laughs> makes things really weird yeah. i would say so for me i'm just a wildly impatient person so um kind of going back to the book, The Alchemist, just know that you have time. Like there's, there's time in your life. And for me, a lot of the mistakes I made was trusting the wrong people, but it was also trying to force situations that shouldn't have been forced. So uh, that's one of the lessons. And um, I saw this, someone post a, a quote, and I'm going to butcher it on Instagram the other day, but it was something to the variation of, if someone shows you who they truly are when you first meet them, believe them. Uh, going back to me having rose-colored glasses, I'm so bad at seeing someone, seeing their flaws, understanding where they're at, but me putting on them that they can ascend to this level of some expectation I set for them. You just got to meet people where they're at because sometimes they're on that journey up. Sometimes they're just chilling. So let's jump into the coaching business now, sure. because now's your chance to go share all the things you've learned on this journey and that others shared with you talk about what inspired you to launch the coaching business and how do you create that out of all of this entrepreneurship and, and, and what are some of the early things you've learned as being on the coaching end of the relationship, as opposed to the mentee end of the relationship? Absolutely. So in this uh, group here, how many are small business owners or aspire to be? Got a couple here. Yeah, got quite a few here. <laughs> good, good amount. Okay. All right. So for all of you who raised your hand or some sort of a small business owner, I imagine you have the same experience that I did, which is if you're owning a small business or you just have any kind of competency, people approach you because they want to pick your brain. Like, hey, can I borrow some of your time? I got a question. Or, hey, can I pick your brain? I want to ask you this or that. Uh, when I came back to Kansas City in 2015, probably around 2016, when I started getting some success here in the city, I was getting that a lot. Again, my, fam <clears throat> my family's here, my friends are here. And so I would get all those texts and calls whenever they had a business idea or whatever. And cool, yeah, fine, I'll do that coffees, texts, video calls, whatever it is, answering different questions. And for about five years, I did that for free because I was running my yogurtinis and I didn't have a coaching business and didn't even want one at the time. And what I saw um, was there were very similar questions that kept popping up. And it was something that since I had been in it for several years at that point, were day one stuff to me, but I remember those days of trying to figure those certain things out. So fast forward right before the pandemic, it was December, 2019 and January, 2020. I had two friends approach me and they wanted me to help them with their business plan and to start a business. And for most other people who had approached me, it was just kind of like they asked a question and then 
they wouldn't do anything with it. And they may come back a year later and ask the same question and wouldn't do anything with it and so on. Well, these two did something with it. And I helped them grow businesses that are wildly successful today. One of them is um, a group of friends who wanted to purchase Yogurtini that I had turned down in Legends, Yogurtini Legends. And I turned it down and they, you know, brought the idea to me and I essentially gave it to them and helped them with everything to get going. And now they're making a ton of money. And I got zero dollars from that. And then I had another buddy who was in the supplement industry in St. Joe and had uh, a similar opportunity to get into my industry of doing ice cream. And he approached me and had some questions and I helped him get into it. And now he's wildly successful doing a second location and soon to be a third. And I got zero dollars from that. And it was not their fault, but I felt wildly taken advantage of because of that scenario, because I looked back to all the time I had given up to do that out of the goodness of my heart, but you can do good and still get compensated for it. And I'm like, gosh, I just feel so taken advantage of, but it is not their fault. They did nothing wrong in this. And that's when I started having a conversation with my wife about potentially doing some sort of coaching and, and speaking professionally for the expertise and, and whatnot experiences or lessons that, that I've learned through, like I said, some success and some failure. So pandemic happened, um, had a lot more time at home to go within. And through that time, I figured out that um, I could productize my knowledge my expertise. And um, with my current businesses, having a brick and mortar, there is a ceiling on what sales can be, like, especially for a franchise. And I was tapping out uh, on sales for my locations. And I wanted something where I can make more money. So that's how I got into it and launched my coaching business. And how I deliver it is one-on-one -on -one through Zoom. And we go through everything everything, everything. We go through um, formation and entities, protecting your business, insurance, IP, trademarking, patent, etc. We go through the core foundational principles of running your business, through the mission and vision of your business, understanding your product, profit margins, ideal client, who's your niche, marketing, sales, leading people, numbers, um, and after doing that now for about a year and a half, I've created an outline of my own curriculum that I'm now creating. And the hope for this is to be able to flip this from a one-on-one -on -one coaching model to a group coaching model. So instead of me working just one person on Zoom, I can actually do it in a group setting where we get an environment like this, where the background or the backbone of the program is the curriculum that's teaching those things that I keep getting the same questions on over and over and over. And then when we show up on Zoom together, I can coach. And not only that, they can hear experiences from each other and what's going on. It's kind of how we're doing here, whether it's a hot seat or bring on an expert, or if someone has a question, some of the best uh, tips and whatnot that I've gotten is hearing someone else going through something in a completely different industry than mine. And so if I can create that same model, that would be able to teach them what to do on the front side. And then when it's in person, be able to give them the one-on-one -on -one, when it's one to many to be able to get their questions answered. And hopefully that'll bless somebody else as well. You know, working with these early stage entrepreneurs, what, what surprised you? I mean, usually when I'm having conversations with folks like that, sometimes it's surprised, not even a good way. Like, I can't believe you're still in business, but uh, I mean, uh, what surprised you? The, the, the thing that surprises me, so my background, you know, I have a business major and I've been wanting to get into business since 16 years old. So I studied it. I read books, um, watched certain movies around or TV shows around it, Shark Tank, The Apprentice, et cetera. And then I went through five years of business school and then I had mentors the entire time. I did internships and then I had a six month intensive capstone course learning business. And so when I got into business, there were things that I needed to learn from a strategy and an implementation perspective 
but the foundational, the foundational principles of business were burned into my brain. The thing that blows my mind is there are people who were either brand new, let's say six months, or people who've been in their business for six years that are asking me one-on-one questions. And that's the exact thought I have is how are you in business if you don't understand this? But it is consistent. Every single client I've had to date, uh, the, the hangups that they have are things that I envision that they would have already known by now. And so that's the cool thing about my program is no matter if you're six months in or you're six years in or you're 16 years in, sometimes there's just a breakdown of information. And if you don't have those studies, you know, everyone right now demonizes education and going to college and, and that kind of stuff. And sometimes for good measures because of high prices, because of uh, how expensive universities are. But if you're there to learn and, you know, you're, you're going through a program where you're actually going to use it, you can actually learn a lot of stuff. And for me, that was my thing. I skipped a lot of the headaches because when I stepped into business ownership, I knew it already through my studies. And so I just wish that there was more formal training. I'll say this way. I wish there was less pushing people to jump into entrepreneurship and more training them to how to be successful from the jump. There's so many motivational speakers and they're just saying, take the leap, take the leap. And I'm like, yes, take the leap. Don't be stuck in inaction. But there's a little bit of training we need either immediately or before you take that leap. So that's where people like myself come in. Yeah, good morning. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, what's one thing you learned about your own leadership leading a team through COVID? And then one thing you learned about your businesses through COVID? So um, great question, Dan. I love that. I love answering that one. We learned a lot about ourselves uh, because a lot of the things that I'd learned about leadership <clears throat> to a little bit of a, to a certain extent was, you know, things that I had known intellectually and I wasn't putting into practice as much as I wish that I would have. And so, you know, even reading the book, The Dream Manager, a lot of those things I knew what you should do, you know, focusing on your people and um, what they need and what they want, also your customers. But some of that stuff I still wasn't putting into practice. So um, that's what we did. We got really scared when the pandemic hit um, because we went down to 11% of sales in March and April, 11%. And so to my thought, I thought I was going to lose my business. And so if I was like, if we're going to go out like that, then we're going to go out and doing it the right way. I tried not to furlough any people and we didn't. And so that dream manager mentality, that empathetic focus on your team manager mentality, I finally 100% put that in play and it worked. It worked for us. We kept all of our team. We didn't furlough anybody right when things started to open back up because we focused so much on our, our customers and our employees. Our sales exploded again because they wanted to support us. Um, I learned that as an entrepreneur, you own the business, but you are an employee of your team. Like you are, uh, in, in, a, in a lot of ways you come last and they have to come first. And so a lot of times in my businesses, it was how do I pour into them, but also how do I make the most money possible? And I really flipped it into how do we ultimately give our customers every single thing that they want and how do we make our employees the happiest that they can be so they don't leave us but also so they're happy inside the business. And um, it benefited me more than it ever had in that time. So um, that response felt a little word vomity. It wasn't very clear, but hope you guys got something from that. Jay is asking, and I can type it here in the chat. You know, is there a website for the coaching business or what's the best way for people to reach you? Sure. Yep. So you can go to my website, www.isaacleecollins.com, or you can connect with me on any social media platform at Isaac Lee Collins. And for me right now, it's very informal until I launch my big program. We can just have a, a conversation and action plan call if you want, uh, if you will, just to see if I'm the person to add uh, more benefit to what you're trying to do. 
And if I'm not, then I have amazing people I'm connected to that I can that can refer you to. It's not a salesy call. I'm not a salesy guy when it comes to that. Either it's a good fit or it's not. Uh, Drew is mad because David Comar is in Tampa where it's not snowing. But other than that, I think Drew has a question. So okay. <laughs> Into Tampa too many times, David. I think we should kick you off, but that's besides the point. Yeah, we got some snow up here. Hey, Isaac, I, I you know, I've asked been asked this question once before, um, and I think all of us have a very different perspective. But if you could go back and talk to your younger self, uh, what would you tell yourself? At, at, you know, with everything you've learned, and it's amazing what the things you've done. I'd be curious what you would, what's that one thing that you would tell your younger self? Oh. <sighs> Well, I'll, I'll tell you the first thing that comes to my mind. So, um, you know, my background is just everything hyper-competitive, big sports guy, football, basketball, uh, track, soccer. If we can compete at it, we're going to compete at it. Um, if I could tell myself one thing is to know, be very weary of what season you're in and what serves you in the season that you're in. Because for me, I would say there's a lot of times I took that competitiveness into arenas that it didn't need to be in and it sacrificed me relationships, but it also made me push too hard in areas that I didn't need to push hard in. Um, I am a Christian, but one of the things that's really hard for me is surrender. And so in those spaces where I should have just kind of let things happen, and saw the situation for what it was, I tried to force way too many things to happen. And in sports, that's really, really good because you're trying to earn the spot. Um, sometimes in business, it isn't as great or just relationships, it isn't as great. And it took me a long time to figure this out, but not every single person is hyper-competitive like I am. Uh, so I wish I would have known that at a much younger age. Because when I was younger, everyone was in sports, went to a small school. Everyone played sports. Everyone's competitive, or at least in that arena when they were practicing or whatever, they're competitive. But the real world is different in your little than your little silo of your teammates. Awesome answer. Thanks. Let's go to Carolyn. Hey, Isaac, thank you for sharing yourself with us today and your story. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I just sent you a message. You were talking about your group coaching. Um, so check it out. I'm, I'm joining an event in March for that. And I think uh, it's just a really cool opportunity to just get ideas. But I'm so curious about something that you said, which was, you know, when you read books and people tell you to just jump, you know, and do, do it. And they don't really build in the safety net. I'm curious your thoughts because, you know, I've, you read Tony Robbins and he talks about, the, you know, burn the boat, like burn the boat. You listen to somebody who I think is really smart, like Jay Shetty, who says, eh, like, don't burn the boat. <laughs> um, but where do you find the balance? You know, I've spent four years building some things, working 60 hours a week at my full-time job and nights and weekends on everything else. Now I've got this opportunity. I'm calling it an opportunity because I'm, you know, my, my paying job, people were laid off, but where do I find the balance between this moment of, oh, I don't have a regular paycheck coming in. And yet my two components of what I'm building are taking off, but I haven't reached what I need to yet. So I'm curious as to, in your entrepreneurial spirit and what you've done, how did you find those balances in that space when everything was new and you're not sure which is going to take off. Sure. Sure. I love that. So, um, I will start off by saying, I also love Jay Shetty and I also, I'll say loved Tony Robbins earlier in my journey. Um, Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki got me into a lot of trouble young when I was hyper-focused on the motivation and the inspiration but what I needed to be in more was the actual teaching and learning. So my favorite um, business coach, I guess you could say motivational speaker now, is Brendan Burchard, because he gives you a little bit of motivation, but he is teaching you 
everything that he does is teaching. And so um, I would say two things. So I am not huge into just take the leap. There needs to be some sort of a, a, a scan analysis to see if you're ready to take the leap first off. All of us are not self-aware when we're just starting to something to know that. So I love the thought of having some sort of a mentor, coach, accountability partner to help us assess if we are ready, I guess you will say, um, less with our mindset and more for our ability. Because a lot of times we are ready and our mindset tells us that we're not ready. And that's why people get super, super stuck. If you aren't ready with the information that you have, and your mindset is off, then that's a recipe for disaster. And that's where I am seeing in this industry of self-help where we're telling people who are mentally not ready, we're trying to talk them into being ready, and they also don't have the tools to succeed. So I'm a big person in coaching and mentorship, like I said before. Um, going back to the, the Tony Robbins comment, I think if we are following some sort of a blueprint uh, a coaching curriculum, a program, reading a textbook or something that is giving us the things that we need to succeed along the journey. I am more okay with that. If you decide to jump into entrepreneurship and you're learning along the process, what you need, I am so much more okay with that. So I think that is, I'd say that's okay. Um, as far as being able to walk that middle ground, we need to be self-aware enough to know in our minds if we are in a situation where it's just analysis paralysis, or if we really feel off and stuck because we don't know what the heck we're doing. So analysis paralysis is used a lot or imposter syndrome is used a lot. Sometimes it's because we're scared and we have real underlying issues. Sometimes because we don't actually know what we're doing. And every single one of my clients that I've had so far has said, I don't have the confidence. I don't have the confidence. If I had more confidence, I could do this. And I tell them that's actually not how that works. It's flipped. Competence comes before confidence. And if you are competent in something, the confidence is already there. So. For instance, playing sports, for me, incredibly confident. I can pick up a, a stick or a bat or a ball or whatever and be fine because that's my competence. My confidence is really high because of that. My wife never played sports in her life, so her confidence in it is really, really low. I know nothing about healthcare, so my confidence is super low in being able to do anything medical. My wife has worked in a hospital for five plus years, so she can literally do anything as far as being a caretaker. So her competence and confidence is up here. So I think being able to do an assessment of that is very wise to kind of know where you stand. And that's what I do now, but it's because I understand that information. If someone doesn't have that, I'm hoping that they're researching and whatnot enough to know and get connected to some voices in their world that are teaching them along their journey. You know, you're Thank on to you. something. I appreciate that. Hey, Carolyn, yeah, where'd you send that message, by the way, just so I don't miss it? Uh, LinkedIn. I sent it to LinkedIn. Okay. Cool, cool, yeah. Cool. And I agree about Tony Robbins. You know, you, you buy in and then I look back and I think, what? <laughs> so I, yeah, I thank you for the feedback. I so appreciate yeah. that answer. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And, you know, he has some programs that are teaching you at a very high level. There's nothing bad about him but then he has some unfortunately that are not teaching and they're just pump up an inspiration selling the next thing um but don't hear me talk bad about him he got me out of a really dark place when i needed yeah. it so he's yeah. my guy he's one of my champions in a way um but in another regard you know if you're going to buy something from anyone make sure it's teaching not just inspiring because after the feeling is gone then you're left where you were before exactly thank you yeah. You. you know, you're on to something really big though, because there's people even on this call, I know I have conversations with about ideas that they're ruminating on and, and you can go around, you can gather a lot of data points and, but 
when do you feel like you have enough data and enough feedback from the market that what you're thinking about is real? What do you choose to surround yourself with as voices, both positive or negative, to help you get that real sense of whether this idea has real legs under it? Absolutely. Yeah. So actually, a good scenario from that is, uh, guys, when I met with Randy, I was telling him my vision for my uh, program that I wanted to build as I wanted to expand it from one-on-one -on -one to group coaching and I had a community and that kind of stuff. At that point, I didn't have the competency of running a group coaching program that's paid to help more than one person at a time. And so Randy connected me with Mr. Steve Johns over there, the master of, of working in a group setting. And we've been meeting I don't know, would you say every two or three weeks, Steve, for a couple months now, and we've just had some amazing conversations about that. And now that my confidence is going up and, hey, how do you run one of these things to be beneficial to a group of people? Uh, my confidence is going up and I'm feeling more equipped to be able to launch that here, here soon. So. so seek out people who have done something similar to what you're thinking about doing to help validate your own ideas. Yep. Yep. A hundred, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Because the easiest thing to do is to say, I don't have enough data and never move forward because you'll just never have enough. I'm assuming you'll never have enough to know a hundred percent sure. Yeah. And, 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 and on the flip of what I said earlier, if you're waiting to have a hundred percent of the data and the hundred percent competence and the hundred percent confidence, now you're waiting too long because we're never going to be hundred percent equipped. And one of the sweetest things is being able to learn while you're doing it, like learning on the fly. Hey, I learned that it's not okay to um, fire someone through text. I also learned there's um, a spectrum of your leadership. So when I first started, I was this really naive young person who wanted to be friends with everybody. So I friended all of my employees and they were, they, they liked me, but they didn't respect me. When it came time to me being their boss, they didn't listen to me. Why would they? I was their friend. And so then I shifted way over here and I was hard-nosed. I can't be friends with them. I can't like them. I can't ask them about their personal life. You're just going to do the checklist and do what I say. Obviously, you guys know from the smiles that I'm seeing that also doesn't work. So for me, it's been somewhere in the middle. And I did that just by being in the game and, and learning what works and what doesn't work. Like, I've had successes, but guys, you know this, you have your biggest wins when you lose. You learn so much from your failures, so much more. Um, so it is important to get in the game, just not too soon. And definitely not when you're at 100% because you're never going to be at 100%. Yeah, Drew just typed in a reminder here of uh, there's a big difference between likership and leadership, which was one of the high points when he was That's on good. here a couple of years ago, I remember that one. It was an, an awesome insight that we're not always going to be liked. <laughs> uh, I'm seeing that Grant put a comment in, you know, and talking about that exact thing. Um, good to see you, Grant. I don't see your face, but I see your message there. I had an awesome conversation with uh, Grant last week about something with my program. And because of his leadership and giving his two cents, it radically changed my mind on something that I should do in this next season. So just, oh man, the amazingness of having a, having a, a, a network of people who've done it before, whether they're right where you are or they're just a stage above is so, so important. So I love this little group. This is great. I've seen a lot of friends. Yeah. There's a lot of folks here that are uh, cheering for you and here to help. And they're always there to help each other. And that's, what's been, really awesome about, uh, you know, the business community and not that fixed mindset. You know, you talked about the competitive piece, but, but there's a, a component of the business community where it's people have that fixed mindset that if I help you, it's taking something away from me and in, in more of a growth mindset, like we experience here, it's, if I help you, we're all doing better. And I think that's yeah. what you find with a lot of these people that they just want to help each other because it helps us all do better. Yeah. A hundred percent. I felt that a lot from you when we met at Pilgrim. So I appreciate our friendship. It's awesome. Well, thanks for spending time with us. It was, it was great. A lot of great insights about your journey. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Um, if I don't know you, I'd love to just connect with you guys. I obviously know Grant and 
uh, Jenna and, and Randy and Steve. And if I don't know y'all, I'd love for you just to message me on LinkedIn just to say hi so I can get to know you. There's actually several people on here that I've seen you on LinkedIn, but I don't actually know you. So I may be messaging you. So um, thank you for welcoming me in your little group. And um, I really appreciate it. And uh, we do have a really deep question here of what's your favorite flavor combo at Yogurtini? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, that just changes. Dolce, Caramel Dolce de Leche is my number one overall. And then every March, we bring in um, our Irish mint for St. Patty's Day. And I love anything, anything mint, unless it has coconut in it. But so Irish mint is my favorite here in a couple of weeks. Besides that's Caramel Dolce de Leche. Awesome. <laughs> well, everyone reach out and connect with Isaac and uh, looking forward to seeing all you do. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you so much. Thanks. Everyone have a great Thanks weekend. Having us, Randy. This was great. All right. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed hearing these inspiring thoughts from Isaac Lee Collins. You can learn more about Isaac's work at IsaacLeeCollins.com. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget that you matter and you can make a difference. So get out there and get after it. I hope to see you again soon.